Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. You're going to stand for the reading of God's Word, as our custom is around here. Good to see you today. Amen. Um, today I want to talk to you about answering the why of our salvation. And you might think, well, that, that doesn't need to be answered, and I think it really does. Uh, most people tend to make the gospel uh and being born again, the way to get to heaven. And that's really not what Jesus said. Jesus said, remember he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to who? To the Father, except through me, except by me. And our salvation, just starting right out with the big truth, our salvation is not just to get us to heaven. That's a secondary thing. But it's to, it's to get us back to the Father. To restore that that was lost in the garden, that separation that sin caused. And so that's what our salvation is to do. It's more than just to have a home in heaven, live forever, eternal life, and all that. But because Jesus said, and I'll read it again later, but he said, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true and living God. He said, that's what eternal life is. Eternal life's not heaven. Eternal life's not necessarily even just the fact of us living forever, but the eternal life is knowing the Father. Jesus said that. He said it's knowing him. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for the revelation that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would see you and the purpose beyond, Lord God, the things that we've known as salvation, that we would see the, the real reason that you came to the cross, that you came to die. And, Father, we would, we would live our lives out of that revelation. We pray that today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our way to the Father. Everybody said amen. amen. Shake somebody's hand, give them a big smile, tell them how good they're looking this morning before you sit down. Tell them how pretty they are. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. Notice it says that which was lost. Not who that was lost, but that. What is the that that was lost? Well, I've already said it to you. What was lost was the union and the communion that we had with the Father. In other words, we lost our identity as a son or a daughter of God. And that's what really happened in the garden. We, you know, this today is really connected to, to uh, intrinsically to what I said last Sunday. And I want to get to that in a minute. But we talked about how the Apostle Paul, he went through stuff, tremendous trials, tribulations. Remember, he said he was on his way to Jerusalem. And he said, I don't know what awaits me there except that the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that there's going to be imprisonment and there's going to be tribulations. But then he said, but none of these things move me. Remember that? None of these things move me. And so he was not affected like so many of us are when we go through tough times as believers. And so Paul, Paul, I mean, I've just been on this lately in my own heart. I'm fascinated by the fact that he could go through such hard times and it didn't affect his joy. I told you that little book in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, four little chapters, 17 times he mentions joy or rejoicing in that chapter. And he wrote that awaiting execution in a jailhouse. 
And he'd been in that jail and that prison for years. And yet from that prison, he's writing a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church at Philippi, and he tells them, uh, rejoice, and again I say unto you, rejoice. And he's talking about rejoicing, and he's talking about the joy of the Lord, because that prison did not change, his circumstances didn't change the joy that was in his heart. Because his joy was the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. See, that's why Jesus said to either make the tree good and his fruit good, or make the tree evil and his fruit evil. Now, sometimes we don't understand what he's saying with that. Listen, you can, you can watch. I'm, I'm talking about a believer now. You can watch how people live. In other words, we see each other's fruit that we're bearing, right? Now, if an orange tree is supposed to produce what kind of fruit? But what if it's producing something that's not an orange tree? Then the problem is that, in other words, I'm not really talking about trees. But in other words, the orange tree don't know it's an orange tree. Because it's producing stuff that's not oranges. So you can watch how a believer lives their life and you can tell by observing them what they think of themselves or how they view themselves. See, you can, in other words, if a believer is manifesting fruit that is contrary to, to their born-again experience, then, then, then there's something missing. The wires are not connecting because they do not see themselves as God sees them. They don't see themselves as an orange tree, therefore they're manifesting figs. You understand? A believer don't have to strain at producing fruit. Uh, if you're an orange tree, an orange tree or any other kind of fruit tree doesn't sit there, I don't think and think, mm, I gotta make some oranges today. It's just a natural occurrence of being an orange tree. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance, faith. These this is this is not fruits, plural. Pick and choose what you want, what you like. It's the fruit, singular, of, not you, the Spirit. And when a person is born again, they receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if anybody doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're not of me. They're not, they're, they're not mine. But those that are born of him have received the gift of the Spirit of God that's been put in your born again, recreated, regenerated spirit. Do you understand that? So you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. But if you're living as a believer contrary to that, in other words, you're manifesting things beyond that, then there's something missing and you're having an identity crisis. You don't realize or see what it is that you've been saved from, but, but, but more than what you've been saved from, what you have been saved to. And there's just a huge difference in the mindset and how we live our lives. Because see, what most preaching that you and I have grown up on approaches man from his depravity. In other words, it makes that the focus, your sin, your problem. You're a dirty, rotten sinner, therefore Jesus had to come and die for you. Uh, but that's how they do it. Jesus, Listen, Jesus did not die on the cross to expose your sin. Jesus died on the cross to remove your sin and, and, and to expose your value, your worth, your dignity. What did he pay for you? His own life. Now, you can sit there and say, well, I'm of no value. I'm not worth anything. Well, that's basically causing, telling that God's not worth anything because God gave his only begotten son for you. So, in other words, what a person's willing to pay for something sets the value of something. Somebody can say, well, that's not worth a million dollars, but if a guy's going to pay a million for it, it's worth it to him. What did God pay for you? He paid his life. He gave his precious blood of his son. He, do you understand what I'm saying? So that sets the value. 
See, he died because I was a lost son. But so many times we make the sin, we make that the focus. See, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. The word repentance means to what? To change the way we're thinking. Change. In other words, the, it's, until a person sees the goodness of God, they're never going to change. You can give them the rule book. You can throw all the don'ts and don't do this and don't do that. And they will never change until they have been exposed to the goodness of God. And the goodness of God, that's what leads a man to repent or to change. Threatening people with hell, telling them all the bad things are going to happen to them if they do None of that ever works. It, it doesn't work. It didn't work on you, did it? Didn't work on me either. See, you got to see how God sees you. God sees you for what he created you to be. Not from where you have been. God doesn't relate to you based on your sin. God relates to you based on his son. No preacher ever told me this truth. I have never one time said in any church anywhere where the preacher preached and told me this truth. And I feel a little bit ripped off because of it. I was warned about sin. I was preached against sin. I was told to try harder, be better, maybe you'll make it. Y'all pray for me that I'll make heaven my home. See, all that kind of stuff, that's, that's all works. That's all law. That's all legalism. You can't save yourself. None of us can. That's why Jesus had to come. So I, I, if you can expose people to the, if you can show them what they've been created to be, then you can remove them from the way that they're living, the inferior way they're living their life, if you can show them what they've been created to be. A lot of times people are just told, you know, get your act together. I've had people tell me, well, when I, you know, when I straighten out, preacher, I'll come to church. You think I've ever seen any of them people? Because you can't straighten yourself out. I thought the song that we wore out for many decades in church was just as I am, without one plea. That's how you come to God, just like you are. You don't clean up. Fish don't say, well, let me clean myself, and then I'll jump in the boat. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And see, when you're kind of telling people to quit this, quit that, quit this, quit that, clean up, that never works. you got to give them a reason to clean up. See, if you don't give them a reason to clean up, it's like this. You know, with the kids or little grandkids now, you know, they'll, maybe they're dirty outside playing, but you're going to take them out to the movies and out to eat. You say, all right, you, all right guys, clean up. We're just to go going to the movies. We're going out. you got to give them a reason to clean up. If you go out and just tell them, clean up, they ain't going to clean up. Clean up for what? See, we, we focused on the problem. What we see is the problem, but that's not the problem at all. See, all this goes back to the garden. And really, you can kind of self-diagnose your view of God. Remember when Jesus said, when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, I believe that kind of application applies to us as believers. When people see you, they're seeing your view of the Father God. When they hear you talk, they see how you live. In other words, they're seeing your expression of who you see the Heavenly Father to be. So in other words, all through the Bible, there's two different, it's just totally polarization, North Pole, South Pole. See, 
In other words, a lot of people see this, and I, I mentioned this last Sunday, and I hear this all the time. I said, okay, Adam and Eve in the garden, they was in paradise. They sinned. God got angry. He kicked them out. And they'll actually use the word, he kicked them out. He, he, he kicked them out because they blew it, because they sinned. And, and, and God, you know, kicked them out of the garden, and, and, and they lost all that because of their sin. And that's not how the story goes. And I don't want you teaching that story to my grandkids because that gives them a totally distorted, messed up view of who their father is. You've heard, there's so many statements that Christians make that are not in the Bible and that are not true. I mean, it's a long list. I just need to do a blog on I just list all of them. It's probably about, I can think of 25 or 30. God moves in mysterious ways. That's not in the Bible. If God was trying to be mysterious, he wouldn't wrote a 66 books called the Bible. He wouldn't have given you the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you. God's not trying to be mysterious. His ways are mysterious to us sometimes because we're carnally minded, fleshly minded. We think linear, God's circular, totally different. God doesn't view things like we view it. So I guess in some way, but that's not in the Bible. God moves in mysterious ways, brother. No, he don't. God moves in the way he always moves, normal. God's normal for, for himself. Well, that was supernatural. Not to God, it was just natural. Do you understand? God's not straining to be God. Let me do something awesome here. When God breathes, it's awesome. It's just, it's, it's, and so, so we get this view. All right, you, you hear this one. God's so holy he can't look at sin. That's not in the Bible. That is so dumb to repeat that and to say that. If God couldn't look at sin, he couldn't look at none of us. And I'm not saying my identity is that old church saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. The Bible says when you get born again, you immediately become a saint. So you have to take on that identity or you will never even live close to what God's got for you and the purpose of your salvation. If you see yourself as a sinner, guess what you're going to do? You're going to sin. Sinners sin. Fishermen fish. Hunters hunt. Saints do different stuff. You need to sell. All the letters in the Bible that Paul wrote, the epistles, are written beginning almost every time in the first or second verse to the saints. To the saints at Thessalonica, the book of First and Second Thessalonians. To the saints at Philippi. To the saints at Corinth. That's a stretch to call them Corinthian saints. They were involved in sexual sin, immorality, choosing uh, other people, saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of this, I'm of that. They have all kind of confusion and all kind of backbiting going on. And Paul said, they're saints, sir. You'll never, you'll never begin to manifest the fruit of what God saved you for until you see yourself with the proper identity. So what we got, we got the story in the garden. Okay, God got mad. He kicked them out. He's so holy he can't look at sin. Okay, Adam and Eve sinned, right? They sinned. I know everybody wants to you know, blame this one, blame that one. It was woman's fault. If it wasn't for Eve, we could all still be naked, naming bugs, eating grapefruit. I've heard all the stuff, you know. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, you know, where's that? What's that across the river, Daddy? That's where, you, that's where we used to live, son, until your mom eat us out of house and home. <laughs> Sorry, lady, I don't believe that, but I'm just, I've heard all the jokes. 
See, we've got this distorted view that Adam was across town, you know, doing something else, and Eve was there by herself. Adam was right there with her, guys. The Bible says so. He was standing right there with her while he let a snake talk to his wife. And more importantly, he didn't jump in and say something. The whole story of the garden deal is to be careful what you listen to because there's many voices that are speaking to you every day. And if you listen and heed the wrong voice, you're going to do the wrong thing. Be careful who your teacher is. Be careful what you listen to. That's the story of the garden. The Bible says the woman gave to the man with her. He was standing right there. He did like a lot of men. He didn't say a word. Just let her stick her hand right in the fan and then wonder why her fingers got cut off. You understand what I'm saying? Didn't open his mouth. Didn't say a word. And by the way, when God gave the, the command, it said he gave the command to, to, to man, to Adam, to not to eat of that tree. When God said those words, Eve wasn't even created yet. She didn't hear that command directly from God. Where did she get it from? She got it from her husband. Maybe he didn't do a good job teaching. I don't know. Maybe she didn't learn very well. But for some reason, she got it messed up. Because when the snake began, the serpent began a conversation with Eve, he tried to see how much she really knew. And he said, hath God, you know, he said, you shall not surely die. He wanted to see what she knew. She said, God said that we're not to eat of this tree, we're not to look at it, we're not to touch it. God didn't say any of that. She exaggerated it and carried it. He knew then she didn't know the word. See, people that get the word of God second-handed are always a prey to the enemies. God gave you the Holy Spirit. You got the same Holy Spirit I do. You got the same Holy Spirit that operated and came on Jesus at the River Jordan at his baptism service. You got the same Holy Spirit. The kids don't have a 12-year-old Holy Spirit. You got the same Holy Spirit. And you don't have a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You either you have him or you don't. And if you don't, you're not born again. And if you're born again, you have him. You don't have a little bit of the mind of Christ. Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. When did we get it? When we got born again. You might not be using it. <laughs> I can give you two computers. You can go and pull from whichever one you want to. But the natural mind's going to cause you some problems, living a supernatural or spiritual life. Are you with me? So what did God do? Adam and Eve sinned. God's so holy he can't look at sin. That's just a lie. I'm not saying God likes looking at sin. God's not so holy. There's, not, there's no Bible for that. None. And, the only, and I don't have time to get in that because it's another teaching and another sermon, and I've written about it, and it's on my website, daleyoung.net. You can go there and read it and check it out. But God did not turn his back on his son on the cross. That's where they come up with it. Oh, God's so holy, he had to turn his back upon Jesus and, and not look. The Bible said God was in Christ on the cross. That'd be like me, I'm going to turn my back on this building. How can I turn my back on this building when I'm in the building? It's ridiculous. But see, you hear all these cliches, these sayings, and we've heard them so often and so long that we almost think they're in the Bible. And many people do. But they're not. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God, but let's say before Adam and Eve sinned, God came in the cool evening and, and, and communed with them and walked with them and fellowship with them, right or wrong. After they sinned, did he still come? Right on time. 
because God will always be there and he will never leave you or forsake you. So God, even though he knew they sin, God didn't come in there going, I, I can't look at y'all, y'all sinners. No, God came calling for them. They're the ones that's hiding. Adam and Eve were hiding from God. That's what it makes you do when you don't know who your daddy is and how good he is. You'll try to hide from the very one that's trying to love you and save you. So they're hiding from him. He calls out to them. Nothing that God did that day was punitive. I don't care what your commentaries you read says. God didn't do anything. God didn't curse them. He said the ground was cursed, and it, the King James language says, for your sake. It's like God did them a favor. I'll, here, I'll curse the ground for you. Here, how you like that? You know, now you've got to make a living with the sweat of your brow. <laughs> God just says, for your sake, because of what you did, who you listened to and the decision you made and the voice you followed, this is the result of sin. God didn't do any of that. They did that. God's not punishing you. He's already punished his son for all sin. You, you're going to suffer consequences for bad choices and bad decisions, but don't get it confused and blame that God's behind it. All the time, I've heard it this past week, I, I believe the Lord's doing this to me. No, the Lord is not doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. You're doing it. You're suffering. You're hurting because of it. You're in pain because of it. But God's not the author of your pain or your suffering, and he does not wish that upon you. But if you, if you put your hand on a hot stove, you're going to burn your fingers because you made a bad decision. And you're going to be in pain for a while until you heal. But God didn't do it to teach you a lesson. God wrote in his book, the stove is hot, don't touch it. You know what I mean. But if you just insist that that don't apply to you and I've got, you know, Teflon hands, then go ahead and get some. But sin's not going to turn out good for a sinner or a saint. Sin produces pain for both parties. There's things that work for both of us. I don't believe in gravity. We'll jump off the top of the building. You can get a saint and a sinner on top of this building. They both can jump off simultaneously and they both are going to hit the ground about the same time. They are things that are set up and they work for saints or sinners. So sin will cause pain to both. But God doesn't will it, nor does he desire it, nor does he want it, nor is he the author of it. He's not behind it. God came to save you from that. See, the problem we got going on today is not Democrats, it's not Republicans, it's not even the devil. Did you hear me? The problem is selfish human beings who do not know what they were created to be and who they were created for, and they are living inferior lives for themselves, living unto themselves, living by themselves. If you, if you go back, every marriage problem is a self, somebody's being selfish in that marriage. You got two people that ain't selfish loving on one another, you ain't got no problems. You got one person that's selfish, you got you some problems. Y'all might as well say amen to my preaching. See, God wouldn't be, there's nothing punitive. The Bible, well, I thought, well, God kicked them out. It doesn't say God kicked them out. The Hebrew language, God drove them out of the garden to keep the way. The New King James says to protect the way to the tree of life. The only reason God put them out, not because he was mad, he said in their fallen condition, they can extend their hand and eat of the tree of life and they can live forever in this perpetual dark state and I won't allow it. They're too valuable to me. 
There was nothing angry about anything God did. God drove them out of the garden for their good and for their protection. Everything God ever does in our life is for our good and for our protection. It's always been that way. But I grew up hearing a gospel very different than that. I grew up that Jesus died on the cross. In other words, I grew up, I saw God angry from Genesis. I'm in the third chapter and I see an angry God that is being vindictive and retaliatory and punitive. And so that's how you see God. And then that, that lens that you got on, those rose-colored glasses that you're reading the Bible from that point on with them on, it causes you to view God in a distorted way. And most of the time we were preached a distorted view of God. So when you get into the New Testament and you see Zacharias, Elizabeth, you know, they're going to give birth to John. She's going to give birth to John the Baptist. But you see Zacharias as an old man. The angel of the Lord appears, Gabriel, and he tells him that he's going to be a dad and he's going to, his wife's going to give birth to a son. And he says, how do I know you're telling me the truth? And the angel says, because I'm Gabriel and I stand before God and because you didn't believe the word of the Lord that I delivered to you, from this day forth thou shalt be dumb, unable to speak. So what does the rose-colored glasses Bible-reading Christian see there in that story? They see an angry, punitive God. They see a God that says, okay, you didn't believe the word. There, take that. I'll just take away your tongue. That'll show you. What do you see when you read that passage? If you see anything punitive there, you don't know him. you got a distorted view of him. Why did God cause him not to be able to speak? Because God didn't want him to spread doubt and unbelief out of his mouth for nine months. Because you may not believe it. It don't matter whether you do or not. But, it, I mean, it matters to you, but it doesn't matter to God because God's going to protect what he was bringing. you got to understand John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner for Christ the Lord. And so God said, I'm not going to let you mess this up. You know, God is trying to save you from you. I have found the enemy. It ain't Satan. It is me. <laughs> I'm my worst enemy. If anybody destroys my ministry, you know who that's going to be? Me. If anybody destroys my marriage, you know who that's going to be? Me. Me. You. <laughs> With your stuff. Selfishness again. Not trusting God. God's not punitive. God says the power in the tongue for life and death. So you're going to speak death and doubt. Your heart's full of unbelief because you, you're an old man and this is going to be miraculous. It's going to be a miracle. And I can't have you for nine months spreading doubt because your words are powerful. Your words are counting something. So I'm just going to take away your ability to go home and, and speak negative and say it ain't going to happen. And, it ain't going, you know, and it's just you don't have a baby. That's just a tumor or whatever. I'm not going to let you do that. I love your wife too much. She's going to struggle enough with it on her own. There's no telling. I believe that. I believe Elizabeth, you know, began to grow. Old woman, past menopause. She's pregnant. This really happened, y'all. She's got friends, ladies. They're seeing her belly grow. You don't think they were saying? I mean, she couldn't go get an ultrasound. She couldn't come back with the 3D images y'all be posting on Facebook now, you babies. She didn't have that. Oh, she's got some, a growing belly. You don't think they've ever seen other women, their bellies extend because there was a tumor inside them? And, and for whatever reason, it is my belief based on what I've read, I don't believe that Elizabeth ever felt that baby kick like most women do. 
Why would I say that? Because remember, she's six months pregnant, and now Mary has just conceived the Lord Jesus. Mary goes to visit her, Elizabeth. She walks into the house, and she greets her in the name of the Lord. And when she does, the Bible says John the Baptist got filled with the Holy Ghost in that moment, and then he moved, and she felt that baby moved. For the first time, then she could say, they've been telling me for six months, I, all I got is a tumor. This tumor just moved in. <laughs> this tumor just praised God and kicked. See, sometimes all you need is somebody to affirm what God has said to you. And like we've said in the church, you know, then you, your baby will move. That thing that you think is dead and dormant on the inside of you, that vision, that purpose, that thing that God said to you months ago or six months ago or six years ago or 60 years ago, that thing will move again and start moving. Then there'll be life where you thought was death. And it's not too late. Y'all just let me know if I say anything encouraging to you. See, if you don't see... See, all I was ever told is Jesus died on the cross because I was a sinner. Now, let's think about it a second. Okay, you're a sinner, and that's why God had to send his son to save your butt, you dirty, rotten, low-down sinner. <laughs> In other words, if you think that all Jesus came and died on the cross for was because you were a sinner, then all that does is makes you feel indebted to him. Uh, and this is where you come up with save to serve theology. In other words, God saved you. He gave his life for you. What you going to give him? What you going to do for him? And you can spend your whole Christian life miserable because you're trying to pay God back for what was supposed to be free. Because if it's not free, it's not grace. And a lot of Christians live with an indebtedness to God. I, I'm telling you, we should be, be mind-blown appreciative and amazed at grace. But you can't pay him back, and it is offense. It, it's, it's blasphemy to attempt to pay God back for something that you couldn't have paid for in the first place. See, if, if you don't see that while we were yet sinners, he loved us, while we were yet, while we were yet what? While we were yet getting it together, while we were working on it, while we were, no, while we were sinners. God demonstrated his love. He didn't just say it, he died on the cross. With, listen, no guarantee that you and I would accept that sacrifice. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. You got to understand that God's love did not begin when you started trying to get it together. God's love for you didn't start the day you got saved. God's love for you didn't start the day that you're going to straighten up, fly right. No, God's love started for you before the foundation of the world. But while you were a sinner, Christ loved you. And you don't have to feel indebted to God. That's why, that's why I told you Jesus said that in John 17 and 3. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God. That's, that's what eternal life is. You know, I put out a little blog yesterday, I think it was, or Friday, I can't remember, yesterday or Friday. But, you know, I, the title of it, I just said, God does, not, God does not unchild his children. That's how I'd use a little different way of saying once saved, always saved. <laughs> a lot of people don't talk about it, they don't write about it, because you're going to get all the knuckleheads that's going to come in there and comment. But I got delete for that. 
if Jesus gave you eternal life when you got born again and you can lose it, then it wasn't eternal. How eternal was it? And I'm not saying just live any kind of way now because you got eternal life. That's just spirit of stupid. It's just dumb. That makes you not enjoy eternal life. But you won't lose it. Because it was eternal when he gave it to you. And everybody don't have eternal life regardless of what you've been taught. Everybody's not eternal. Jesus says it's a gift for, for believing on him. And so 1 Corinthians 15 and 19 says, If in this life only, Paul said, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now let me make an application. Different. Listen, we've got a lot of miserable Christians in this world. I hope we don't have any here. But I'm serious, man. We got a lot of Christians that are just absolutely, if they just real cut dry, let's be honest, man, they're miserable. On their way to heaven, living in hell. Let's give Jesus some praise. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they are, they are miserable, though. They are miserable. Paul said, if only in this life. In other words, why do you want Jesus? Why did you accept Jesus? What do you think Jesus is supposed to do for you now? Which Jesus did you receive? Because which Jesus was preached to you? Will the real Jesus please stand up? Did the Jesus you receive promise you wealth, prosperity, happiness, health, and have that every day of your life? Then when you go through a tough time, you up there at the return counter tell me, I'd like to swap this Jesus back. I got the wrong one. Because I'm being imprisoned. My back is being beaten in jail. And all I was doing trying to serve the Lord. And so apparently I got the wrong Jesus. I'd like the one that the preacher preached to me on that Sunday I got saved. I want that Jesus. So you was preached the wrong Jesus. Or you was preached the wrong purpose. For our salvation. You don't know the why. Sure is quiet in our Presbyterian church this morning. Don't write me nothing. I'm not offended by the Presbyterians. We love y'all. See, the why. Why did we? Why do you want Jesus? Now, I'll tell you, sad to say, most of the time, that was the Jesus I got hooked up with in my thoughts. And so when I would go through tough, tough times that made no sense, no biblical sense, I didn't do like Paul. In other words, if, I, if I'm obeying God and I'm on the way to Macedonia, I'm Acts 16, but if I'm, if I'm obeying God and I go to Macedonia because God told me to go, right, and I get down there and all I do is obey God and I preach, now they take me, strip me naked, take rods of iron and beat my back with many stripes and then throw me into the prison and chain me to the wall. And at midnight, I'm there. The first thought is not, let me give God some praise up in here. Let's just be honest. That has not been the way I've lived my Christian life most of my life. I've not been, that's not been my first go-to. Well, oh man, I'm hurting, but whew, let me get my praise on. 
No, here's, here's been Brother Dale. I won't, just me. I don't understand this. Mm -mm, I don't understand this at all right here. This don't make no sense to me. All I did is obey God. This ain't fair. This ain't right. If this is what it means to serve God, I had it better when I served the devil. I had less problem when I served Satan. Satan never beat my back like this. All, I, all I'm trying to do is obey God and do what he told me to do. Looked like he could have helped me out. Looked like he could have protected me from this. Why he let this happen to me? All I was doing was trying to do what he said. I don't like God. I thought he said he loved me. This ain't love. I thought, I, I thought he promised me abundant life. This ain't no abundant life. Look at me chained to the wall in here. I, I don't get this at all. I ain't reading my Bible no more. I ain't going to go back to church. I'm not going to speak of him, preach. I ain't doing nothing no more. I mean, if this is the way it is, I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm through with this. I don't know how tuned that sounds to some of us. Just think about stuff you've been through and what you thought when you was going through it. See, if you thought, if you think, listen, if you think that Jesus saved you so that every day of your life will be paradise, you messed up, man. You messed up. You're living for yourself. And you'll react accordingly. But what I've been so challenged by lately in my Bible reading is Paul wasn't like me at all. And I don't feel ashamed by it. I just feel like something missing here. Paul, his default, default, you understand? To praise God. And the Bible said at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the jailers heard them. And the Greek there is they sang Joyful, boisterous hymns to God. They weren't asking to get out of jail free. They weren't questioning why they got beat. They knew why they got beat. Because they preached the gospel to a bunch of heathens. And they didn't react properly to it all the time. Why do you accidentally just cut somebody off and they blow the horn and wave at you or want to jump out the red light and fight you? Because they're just a bunch of heathens. And they're not going to act right. They're not going to do right. They ain't going to be right. And they want to cause a fight and stay up all night. <laughs> That's the ites of the land, if you don't know what I'm talking about. God told to drive out all the ites and came to land. That's the ites. Okay, forget that. Well, this ain't heaven, y'all. This ain't heaven yet. Now, you're an ambassador for Christ. You're from there. You're a pilgrim and stranger here. Your citizenship and sainthood, your citizenship, the New Testament says, is in heaven. You are, you are from there, you're going back there. I don't understand that. Well, just give God praise for it. You don't have to. Paul praised God. Now, what we got is we got a Philippian jailer. All the people in prison hear him. And this is what I'm saying to you again this Sunday. They, Paul, Paul did not react the way that, that I've reacted in so many. In other words, that's the key word, react. See, Paul responded. He did not react. We got a lot of people that react to what hits. You hit me, I hit you. I react. But Paul, we, as, as believers, we respond. We respond from a kingdom. 
we respond with a different heart. We, we respond differently to people's injustices and things that they do. We respond. We don't react. But reaction is normal for us. You hit me, I hit you. You don't like me, I don't like you. But we, 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 that's, that's not what, that there's something beyond salvation that does for this. And so Paul sang joyful praise to God and Silas in the jail. The prisoners heard it. Not only did the prisoners heard it, the jailers heard it. Now that resulted in a physical, right there in that arena, supernatural manifestation of the manifested presence that they sung about this morning, the presence of God. And that presence, can't explain it, just tell you what it, what, the presence broke the shackles loose off of Paul and Silas. Notice, not just them, but all, every prisoner there got free. And, and the doors of the prison flew off the hinges. So there, this was a real prison with real shackles and real guards and all that stuff, but there was a manifested presence of the power of God that caused a change in that. And this is after the cross, and this is in the time that you and I are living in today, so it can happen today. Same thing could happen with us. We're in grace period, and this power manifested because of their heart and worship to God. Now, it was not the praises go up and the blessings come down deal. Because that's a paycheck. If I send praises up and the blessing comes down, it was just the response of heaven to, the, to a, a, a sincere, true heart of joy that this don't change nothing. you still God. I'm still in love with you. You still love me. I'm going to get my praise on. Now listen. It, and so isn't it interesting? If it was just about Paul, only his shackles would have come off. If it was just about Paul and Silas, the Christians, then just their shackles would have come off. But all the other prisoners, see, Jesus came to set the captive and the prisoner free. Listen, the prisoners are people that's done the crime during the time. They're a prisoner. In other words, they've done wrong, their consequences speak to that. A captive is somebody that's come and been hurt or harmed and they didn't have any, they didn't do anything to even remotely deserve that. A little five-year-old that got molested when they were five, where's God? They, they were taken captive by that horrible thing. But Jesus said, I've come to set the prisoner and the captive free. I've come to set the guilty, the guilty and the guiltless free. I've come to, I've come to deliver everybody. And so now every prisoner in there gets their chains off and they're all free. Now, the, 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 you know the story. The jailer thought, okay, I'm done for. Now, the first thought of somebody that don't have hope is when you're going through times tough enough, and I've thought about it. In other words, I went through a time in my life where I thought about dying every day. And I saw how easy it would have been to take my life. If it wasn't for the things that was going on with you know, my family, my little kids, I'd have been done with this, yeah, because I was hurting too bad. I know you're looking at me like, but I, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. And I, I wasn't going through a little trial that lasted a couple of days. I went through something that was for months. I was having physical. I mean, it was just, I was, I was there. My wife knows it. I was there. I remember looking at my daddy in the doctor's office when the doctor told me, Dr. Dennis Thomas said, I got to put you back in the hospital. And I said, I'm not going again. He said, I'm going to write you up. AMA, against medical advice. He said, because I'm telling you this, if you don't get help, you will physically die. Do you understand me? 
That's just what he said to me. I said, yes, sir, I understand. I was 26 years old. I walked out of that office. I stood out in that parking lot with my dad standing by my side. And I said, Dad, you heard what he said. Somebody don't get a hold of God for me, I'm done for. I was a believer. I was going to church every Sunday. I loved God with all my heart, but I was in a hole I could not get out of. Depression, despair, hopelessness. I threw up every day of my life. I don't mean maybe, I, did I throw up every day? Every day. And eating nothing but broth, beef bouillon, chicken noodle soup broth. Eat it and throw it up. Drink Gatorade. Trying to survive. Come home on my lunch hour. Pray with my, pray my guts out for an hour on my lunch break. Prayed loud because I thought you had to pray loud. I was raised Pentecostal, so I'd pray loud. My neighbors could hear me praying. Did I do it, baby? Come home every day. My wife looked at me like she just can't. Couldn't nobody save me. Couldn't nobody help me. I was in a mess. But God will never leave you. And he never left me. And so my, and I know some of you heard this before, but my, my first cousin, 10 years older than me, was in Jackson State Prison. Habitual violator, DUI. He was up there with the Atlanta child molest guy, murderer and all. He was in there with some heavy dudes, man. Laying in that prison cell, he had a vision. God chose to give it to him, a prisoner in prison. I hadn't talked with him in years, been in prison. He'd served a stretch at Reedsville State Prison. And then he was at Jackson State Prison. Had a lot of problems. But I won't tell you what he was. He was born again. And he, and, but he yielded himself when he got out the wrong things. Caused him a lot of problems. God wasn't behind none of it. But God didn't leave him or say, I'm done with you or you're no you're value to me no more. When God got ready to say this about to be preacher from my own problems, God used a guy in Jackson State Prison. And he gave him a vision. And this is the vision that Phil saw. Now at that time, this place that you're standing in, was ITT Thompson Industries. And the office that I'm in was the big boss's office that run this factory. It's now a church called Grace Point. And the office adjacent to my office that now we have a little conference table was my uncle's office because he worked here. And he was kind of high up in the company, and that was his office. And back many that many years ago, this would have been in 1980. Six, 85, 85, 85, 86, right in there. My cousin wrote down this vision, and he mailed it to here. His daddy, my uncle, got that letter from prison from his son. He called me on my job, and I was the chief of the emergency medical service in Tifton, Georgia. And he called me and said, I got a letter from Phil today in prison. I want to read it to you, son. It's about you. This is two days before this. I stood with my dad and said, if somebody don't do something, I'm done for. This is how the letter goes. He said, Daddy, I had a dream. Or he said, I believe it was a vision, for it was more real than any dream I've ever had. And it was about Dale. I saw him walking in the snow, 
snowing all around him, heavily snowing around him. And he said that the snow was, and his face looked very sad and tears was coming out of his eyes. And he was walking through the snow and it was dark. And he said, I, I, uh, I saw that he tried to get two crutches to walk through the snow. But it said that the more he used those crutches, the deeper into the snow he went. And he said, then I heard a voice from heaven say to Dale, Dale, throw down your crutches. And he said, the look on Dale's face looked like that was the wrong thing to do. But finally, Dale threw down those crutches. And at that moment, the sun came out. And, and his face began to change to a bright glow. And, and he raised both of his arms and he began to praise and magnify God. And while he was praising and magnifying God, a suit of armor from heaven descended upon him and slipped over his shoulders and onto him. And it said the snow had been melted now by the sun coming out and it had turned all the snow now into a great big lake. But these lake, this lake was full of fish, Daddy, but these fish had the faces of men. But they looked like they had been attacked and mangled all over. And he said, I saw Dale reach down and take a reel. And he began to cast into this big lake. And Daddy, he began to catch those fish. And he would reel them in and he would reach down to lift that fish out. And that fish would change to a full-fledged man. And they would raise their arms and begin praising and magnifying God. And he said, then I woke up, Daddy. <laughs> Whew. And see, that just making your hair push out is the Holy Ghost. Because God's saying that story that boy's telling you is the absolute truth. I would have never thought God could have used Phil Young to do anything to help me. I just saw him as somebody that was in bondage, addicted, an alcoholic. Somebody that just can't get it together. But when I read, when I, my uncle read me that letter, <laughs> sitting at my desk in Tifton, from this office back here, I didn't even know this is where all that went down until one Wednesday night when I first became your pastor. A man walked up to me here, and he said, I just wanted to meet you, Pastor. He said, it sure is. He was standing right here. He said, it sure is weird to see this as a church. He said, I used to work here. He said, you ain't kin to anybody named Jimmy Young, are you? I said, yes, sir. That's my uncle. He said, I didn't know where they worked. I didn't know where they worked. I didn't know. And he said, yeah, this was where your uncle worked. He was my boss. He said, this is, this is where it was at. When I walked out of this church that night, I couldn't do nothing but cry because I was wrestling even in my own heart right there because I had just got down here and things were a little tough. And I was saying, did I make the right decision leaving my church coming down here? And the Lord let me know that, son, I called you or, or at least confirmed your call to preach from this building, from this property and that you now find yourself standing in. <laughs> that ain't no coincidence. God did that. God did that. God did that. God's got a plan for every one of our lives. You ain't got to save yourself. People would tell me, you know, just snap out of it sometimes or, you know, pull yourself up by your own boot. I couldn't do none of that. There's nothing more helpless or hopeless than somebody telling you to snap out of something you can't snap out of. But I want to tell you what that rescuer did. His name's Jesus. He rescued me. 
He rescued me. He got me out of that mess. And, and, and I just say this to you. When my uncle read that to me, I've told you, some of you heard me say this. Now, I had been into the hospital. And that first time I went, they run that tube down your esophagus, look in your stomach and all that stuff. And my stomach was raw, they said. And they took pictures like a little Polaroid picture. And they brought them to the hospital room to us, gave them to my wife, said, this is why he's throwing up every day. It, he, he has so much acid and all in his stomach, it's just eating the lining of his stomach completely out. It's just raw. Any food he puts on there comes right up. And, and they put me on medicine. And, they, and, and I remember back then, we went, and I left the hospital and drove right next door where they had a little pharmacy. And I filled for one month, it was $100 out of my pocket. And I had insurance. Very expensive stomach medicines and stuff. And that made my depression worse because I didn't have $100 a month to spend on medicine. Now I'm owing 20%. And then that's why you kind of understand when the man said, you got to go back in again. Because I was dehydrated again. I, I didn't have no strength. I couldn't eat. I'm, I lost down to 29 inches in the waist. I couldn't keep my britches tied up tight enough to stay on. And I was dying every day. And I'm supposed to be a Christian. And I'm going to church. And I'm singing a song. All I do every time I go to church is sit there and cry, though. I just sat there and cried. <laughs> That's all I could do. Man, I got all kind of people to pray for me. I'd come back to Cook County and get my former pastor and get him to pray for me. He'd gather up some men. They'd pray for me. My present pastor, I'd counsel with him. He'd pray for me. They said, you go over here. This guy's got some power. I'd go over and get that guy to pray for me. I couldn't save myself. God said, I got you, boy. I don't know why I had to last that long. I don't know. There was a lot of natural things on my plate that was causing a lot of problems. Nothing that I'd done, you know, but just a lot of things, a lot of pressure. I just got promoted to chief. I was 26 years old. My wife's parents just that we love with all our heart, they moved out to Texas. They might as well have been the other side of the world. My wife was pregnant with my daughter, Kristen. You know, we just had a lot of things going on in our lives. Changed churches, changed towns, changed jobs. Lost our best weekend buddies, you know. All that didn't help. But my view of God was really distorted. It was really messed up. I saw God in those days as a punitive God, and I saw that God was doing all that to me for some reason. But he wasn't. God don't give people depression. He gets you out of it. He, he don't give you darkness. He, he's the light of the world. He, he brings light to you. He brings healing to you. He brings health to you. God's, that's what God's up to. And isn't it what, what kind of God is this <laughs> that would use a guy in prison who, what I would have been honest with you, disc discounted as usable? He wasn't a vessel meet for the master's use, in my opinion, back then. I would have never expected him to be the carrier of the word of the Lord that would bring me out and heal my body and, and deliver me. Never. See, God, God don't do it like we think he should do it. And he don't use who you approve. He uses who he wants to. And nobody is discarded and discredited and disqualified. Nobody. And so God used him. And, and when my uncle sitting in this building called Tifton and read that letter, I felt like a, um, all I can describe it as is like if something real viscous, thick like olive oil, was heated just, just nicely and was poured down my esophagus. And I could feel, while he was reading the letter, I could feel it running down my 
esophagus and it got to my stomach area and I felt like it just kind of swirled. Now, I don't mean, just being totally honest, I don't mean I went home that night and eat a steak. I had to learn to eat again, really, after th- four months of that. But I, 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 what, I, what happened that day is I took a major step out of that hole. And every day from that day, I got better. And as you can see, I've not been 29 in the waist in a good long while. <laughs> and I don't want to lose weight on those kind of weight loss programs. I don't want to be on that fasting system. And I don't want to do that no more. God loves you. God has saved you for more. And God sees you as what he's created you to be, not from where you're from and not where you've been exposed to. And that's how God relates to you. And that's how God speaks to you. I don't know how your story will go. What kind of God was that? I didn't understand everything's going on in my life. But that's when God had been speaking to me for three and a half years to preach for him. He wasn't mad at me. And he wasn't jacking my arm behind my back and, you know, no. But, see, I knew God was calling. Do you understand the horror of my, my inward struggle? In those three and a half years, never one time did I ever tell my wife that God, had, I believe, was calling me to preach the gospel. I didn't really, I was scared of her response on that. She married paramedic, not preacher. So I felt like that'd be kind of a rough deal for her. See, I knew what the ministry could be, the good and the bad. My granddaddy was a pastor of 42 years. So I wanted to obey the Lord and do what he wanted me to do, but I sure had some distorted views about him. And I'm not saying I'm arrived at some high lofty place and I'm still learning and I'm still growing. But, oh, I wish I knew back then how good he really is. Man. It had been a lot smoother ride for this old boy all these years. And I don't want you to have to wait that long. I want you to know that God's good. He loves you. He's got nothing but good for you. All his plans for you are good. And there's nothing you can do to make him angry. All his anger and wrath has been satisfied in the, in the death of his son on the cross that he did for you. He's already paid the price so that you don't have to pay it. If you make poor decisions and you involve yourself in sin and do that stuff, it's just going to hurt you. But God don't want you hurt. No more than I would want my grandbabies or my children hurt. God don't want you hurt. But see, like if you got two people, two Christians, and, and let's just say you're both handed a, a, a glass shield. And I'm looking at this, uh, you know, wall over here, and I see that cross over there on that thing that says apostolic. And so I'm looking at that, and I can see it clearly. Cause the, and so God hands both people. I don't know if this makes sense. This is kind of how I saw it. And so I'm standing here. I've been given a gift, and I'm looking through that to that over there. I can see it clearly. And you got two Christians. Now, one of those Christians starts involving himself in sin, and he makes bad decisions, and he starts yielding himself to the flesh and uh, perversion and starts doing those things. Well, sin is dirty, and it, and it, and it muddies up that, that, that windshield. God didn't give you a muddy windshield, but you're choosing to do things that's, that's muddying it up. Even though you're born again, this ain't got nothing. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. You already got that. Jesus doesn't pay. It's not got nothing to do with going to heaven. But your ability to use those gifts God gives you now is hampered by your decisions and your choices. And you don't see as clearly now as you used to. You don't see things like you used to. 
And you don't understand why one person can see so clearly and the other person can't because you're involved in things. And so even as a believer, there's so much New Testament admonition to live a, a, the, the pure in heart of see God. You can't make yourself pure as far as salvation, but you can live a life to the Lord and, and yield yourself to the gifts that God's given you. But if you involve yourself in sin, it doesn't change God's love for you. He loved you the same while you were a sinner. God don't love you more. God can't love anything more. Think about Jesus. Jesus never done anything but just, he, he done everything right. Would you agree with that? I mean, Jesus didn't mistreat nobody. He, he, and, and because of all his love and his goodness and his sacrifice, what did he get for it? Spit on, accused, called a devil. Um, uh, They've done all kind of things to him. Now, what if Jesus did this? I mean, Jesus has done it. I mean, he, he's carrying the cross down to Via Della Rosa, and they're spitting at him, mocking him. Why if Jesus just say, wait a minute, time out here. Now, Father, all I've done is what you sent me to do. And I, I've, I've loved these people. I've healed their sick. I've cleansed their lepers. I've raised their dead. I've done miracle after miracle in their presence. I have fed thousands with just a few loaves and fishes. I have shown my care for them in every way and preached what you sent me to preach. And if they were going to change, they would have already changed. I am done. I've done all. I'm through with it. Coming home. Now, the Bible says he could have called for those legion angels and God would have rescued him. Somebody said, well, he couldn't have done that. He wouldn't have done that because he was Jesus. No, Jesus was fully capable of doing that. And it was always at his right to do it. But listen, he couldn't do that. He could do it as Jesus. Listen to me. He couldn't do it as love. He couldn't do it as love. Because love doesn't require anything. Love doesn't need anything in return. Love doesn't halt itself. Love doesn't puff itself up. Love doesn't do it for love. Love just can't help itself. Love just is love. That's why love never fails. See, that's why in the church, if you go to a course where there, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do this now, okay? And I've been involved. I've paid for it, okay? But so I got to be careful with this statement. But I want you to see something. You don't have to teach a course on evangelism. Because in other words, if you, if you go to an evangelism course and this, okay, so we want you to teach how you to, to evangelize, then you, you take on the burden of evangelism. And with that burden, you'll either go out and fail or succeed. And both of those will cause you problems. It'll cause you problems to succeed because then you can get puffed up. It'll cause you problems when you fail. But when love never fails. So if you love people, if you just love, and that love of God is flowing, you'll evangelize. We'll never have to mention the word. You can't even spell it, but you'll do it. Why? Because you're moved with compassion. You love people. So you, you may not know it's evangelism, but you'll just reach out to people. You'll love people. You'll pray for people. You'll witness to people. You'll, 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 just, you'll, you'll, you'll evangelize. Why? Because you've received God's love. See, we love him because he first loved us. And if you don't receive that love first from God, you are incapable of loving God. But when you realize that he loved me before I did anything, I sinner. Even think about him. He loved me just like he does. He loves me because he's love. He can't help himself. Now, out of that, you, you start living your life. You love people. And you just look for opportunity. And you don't live your life to yourself. I'll make one more statement. I'm out. Listen. If you live the self-life, if you don't realize the purpose, the why of your salvation, listen to me. Don't get mad, but listen. You're going to live for yourself. 
And when you start living for yourself, you place yourself as both boss and servant. In other words, you put yourself on both sides of the ledger. You are the boss, so you're in charge. So you're in charge of your own happiness. And then as the servant, you're the one to serve in yourself to provide that happiness. And then you don't understand why you're unhappy. It's like robbing Peter to pay, pay Paul. And, and you're, you're a miserable believer because in this life only you have hope. Why did you take on Christ? Did to have a little better life? I, I love the way the Message Bible, listen to the way it says that verse that I read, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Paul said if we only have hope in this life, we're most men, we're miserable. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 Message Version says, If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we are a pretty sorry lot. That's what the message, just another view of saying. But see, listen, living for, your, living for ourselves is the default setting for every human. Selfish, living for myself. What do I get out of it? Now, listen, I don't mean this mean, and I'm not mad, and I ain't after nothing. Listen to me. But what has two, at least two decades of man-centered preaching gotten the American culture church. Man-centered instead of Christ-centered. When I was a little boy growing up, it was a Christ-centered gospel. Though. Not no more. DIY Christianity, do it yourself. Live for yourself. And, and you can see in how people are living and how they esteem and value. I was thinking this uh, yesterday, yesterday. I get to go to church tomorrow. I get to. I get to sing songs and worship God. I get to. I get to fellowship with you guys. I get to hug your necks and see some of you. I, I get to preach the gospel and tell people how great God is. I get to. I get to do that no more. Man, I'm looking forward to that. Do you get to or you got to? Totally different way of living. And there are a lot of people that have no value in the assembly of believers. No value. See, no value. Have no value in that. That's sad. Because you're coming up short on something for yourself. That's where we are. We've had two hard decades in America. as a broad brushstroke now of man-centered. You are the center of everything. God did everything for you because he wants you to have a nice life and have a good day and have all, you know, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. wonderful. And then when you do get beat and thrown into prison, you freak out. You don't sing praises. You sing songs of despair, depression. I don't understand this. Why would God, God didn't do that to you. God didn't beat their backs. Well, he let it happen. No, he didn't. Let it happen. See all that. Let it and listen. You didn't call. He, all, that's just that's a head game you're playing. God never. Prom in fact, God did promise you something. He said, "All that live godly shall suffer persecutions in this life." There you go. There's one to stick on your refrigerator. You're going you're to have some tough times. God's not the author of it. But I wonder how what our response has been to that and what it should be. And I don't mean this to condemn you. I just mean to say, this ain't about me. There was some backbeating and all that going on. But you know what the results of that was? Now here, let me tell you. All right, so here we're back to Philippian jail. 
Uh, the jailer's finna kill himself. He's finna commit suicide. So this is the world's response to pain and try kill yourself. Just get out of it. Eliminate the thing. And Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're still here, bro. Ain't nobody running. We ain't got nothing to run from. God's here. God's there. God's everywhere. We, listen, we ain't got nothing to run from. Don't do yourself any harm. This man's response to that was, what must I do to be saved? And not only did he get saved, the Bible says his whole household got saved. A church was formed that day. A tremendous thing. So this is the response. So we got one guy that didn't go in the hole because he didn't have a perfect day as a believer. And he just kept his praise the same. And the results of that was people got delivered. All other prisoners got set free. And people got saved. I wonder if it would work today. I wonder that if, our, if we respond instead of react, I wonder if just while people's watching us and if we're an orange tree bearing oranges, I wonder if they'd get saved. I wonder if that family member that you want to get saved so bad would stop hearing you gripe, grumble, complain, and question God. Oh, yeah, you amen, hallelujah, praise God at the church campus, but at the house you're like, I understand this right here, and I ain't been, you know, and, you, and you're doing all that. No wonder they don't want to come. But I wonder if we just kept consistent and say, God, you're our focus. I thought we sung a song. What was that last song? Something about it's all about him or something, wasn't it? <laughs> I know what it said. I just want somebody to say it. Say, that's why. You're the only one that matters. Ain't the Holy Ghost good? I was watching him sing that new song. I thought, mm -hmm, there it go. There it go right there. He, that's like. Holy Ghost, put, put a stamp. I'm going to put a stamp on the letter, and we're going to mail this thing here today. That's what, that's what he's saying. He, you're the only one that matters. It ain't about me. This is not about my smooth sailing. This is not about me having a perfect life. This is not me having every day as a good day, as a wonderful day. You're going to go through some things, but when you're going through them, I want to promise you there's some other prisoners listening to what you're saying. They're listening to the songs you're singing, to the words you're saying, to what you're doing. And if we would just be consistent because God's consistent and the joy of the Lord doesn't depart from us just because we got thrown in jail, just give God some praise, praise him anyhow, go on through it and watch the difference that it makes in this world. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. Come on, let's just praise him real good one time. Come on now. Oh, man. I'm going to download this message myself. <laughs> you know, when I preach some of these things, man, like, well, wasn't it last Sunday? I think it was last Sunday, my wife, after she's talking about, what did you say? You said, I got that message. Anyway, when I, oh, I was talking about you get to go to work. And there are some days and aspects of some things that I do, other things I do, that my face will show the grimace of the pain of fixing to go do what I got to do. I'm just being honest. It's, it's just sometimes, some, some, some parts of it are very difficult. And sometimes I, I express that difficulty. Sometimes maybe not so much in words, but on my, on my, my wife knows my face. And she's like, look at you. <laughs> She's really like, go out and make us some money. But she's like, look at your face. You know, and I'm just going. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to be playing this uh, message back to you. <clears throat> I wish you'd have stayed home that lesson. <laughs> I mean, I ain't talking about life ain't real. I understand all that. The pain's real. Depression's real. 
the feelings you have are, are real to you, but I'm saying that you serve a God that's bigger than all that. You serve a God that's above all that. And I want to tell you, everything he's doing every moment of every day is to lift you out of the miry clay, to set your feet on a rock, to stay. God's reaching down because you can't reach up. God is the Savior. You're not the Savior. You don't have to be the Savior. You don't have to help him save you. You just believe in his goodness. That's going to bring the change. God's good. Sometimes you just can't see it. Can't see the forest because the tree's in front of you. All you can see is one tree. But there's a big forest here, bro. God's got good things for you. You coming out of this, God's got better for you. God's called you for more than this. This ain't who you are. Clean up, man. Get out of that big mess. Get out of that mess. Come on. Let's go back to Papa's house. Get out of that miry pig pen. Come on, let's go back to Papa's house. Come on, man. What if he'd have died in the pig pen? I'll tell you what would have died that day. It wasn't no pig that would have died. It had been a son. If he'd have died in the pig pen, would he went to heaven? He was already there. Yeah, he'd have been to heaven. He just made some poor choices and spent his money in a wrong way. But his papa was still waiting on him back at the house. And when he saw him, he never rebuked him. He never said, I knew you'd drag your butt, sorry butt back up here. Needing him. He didn't do none of that. He said, son, here's a ring for your finger. His robe. He said, the Bible said the father gave him the best robe. Where do you think that best robe was? It was on the father. So the father took off his robe and he wrapped it around that son. And he took off his sandals and he put them on his son's naked slave feet and he gave him the ring which was like handing him a checkbook signed and he put that ring on his finger and he told the servants he said y'all kill the fatted calf we're going to party tonight my boy's home my boy's come back home Satan thought it had him he thought he was dead <laughs> see the church hates that man they really do they hate that story man because they ain't no rebuke they ain't no serving probation they ain't none of that God said let's get our party on my boy's back at the house we're going to serve we're going to serve him we're going to we're going to rejoice and the religious of the church will pout like that older brother and they won't go into the party and it ain't fair and I've been here the whole time and I've served you every day and I don't I, you never give me a calf he said because you ain't never asked for one he said everything I have belongs to you you can have one anytime you want it you want one we'll give you one too that's what religion will do to you. It'll make you miss a lot of partying. <laughs> Jesus went to the parties, man. That's why they spoke against him. He's a wine bibber. He's a sinner. Jesus said, no, I'm a lover. And I love people. And the only way they're going to ever come out of that mess they're living in is they see the love of God and see what God's created them to be. Amen. My, my elders, would you come? Prayer ministry teams, you guys come. I'm going to dismiss the church. But I, we're here for you, man. If you want prayer for any reason, it's always our privilege and honor to pray with you and for you about anything. It don't make no difference to us. If you don't want prayer, we'll just go eat chicken quicker, okay? But if you want prayer, we're here for you. This is the leadership of this house. We love you. We care about you. This ain't knocking out another Sunday for us. It's getting the truth out, getting the message out, getting God's revelation of his love out. So if you want prayer, I'm going to dismiss the church. You come this way. If you're not coming for prayer, would you just turn around and shake some people's hands and greet them, give them a big smile, make them feel like, man, that they're family, which they are, at Grace Point Church. Okay, you do that. God bless you. Great. Grace Point. Hey, if you want prayer, we're here waiting for you. God bless you.